But what's fascinating is that God chooses to maintain the distinctiveness of those different cultures and creates a unity among them so they could all be, you know, in one accord, all could understand one another. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm Natalie Owens-Pike, MDiv Class of 2023 here at Yale Divinity School, and I'm your host, while executive producer Helena Martin is away. In this episode, we have Awet Anda Mikhail, Associate Dean of Marquand Chapel at Yale Divinity School, and Adam Itell, Assistant Professor of Ethics at Yale Divinity School. They're discussing Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, and John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, which are appointed for the day of Pentecost, year A. Here is the text. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Judeans and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What a cool passage. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the first thing I would like to register with the listeners is just a question, which is basically this. Do we think this is real? Do we think it's true? Do we, do we think this is something that happened? Or is it rather something that happens? And that is to say, does the Holy Spirit come like a mighty rushing wind? Does the Holy Spirit come in power? Does the Holy Spirit fall upon flesh even now? Is there prophecy? Is there, are there visions? Are there dreams? And, and what do we, what do we think about that? I'll just, I'll just say as a point, first of all, and I think, uh, less, the least interesting point to make is that there are many interesting and very learned books about the history of the Christian church that indicate there have been very few moments in the history of the church's life where people have not presumed that the Holy Spirit is indeed living and active and gifting the people of God. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the first thing. The second thing I'll just say is I personally, I, I, I suppose I'm, this is, if there's any context in which I'm supposed to or allowed to say things like this, it's this one. I personally just can't imagine Christianity without it. This is, um, as Paul says, the spirit is a down payment and, and very necessary for our guidance, for our consolation, for our encouragement. And I don't know. I, I, what do you think about that, Alwet? Yeah, this is a very good question. And of course, different branches of, I mean, in terms of the contemporary scene of, of various Christian communities, we have a lot of variety in the way we think about the Holy Spirit and how much we emphasize the reality of the Holy Spirit, the active role of the Holy Spirit, what, what it means to say that the Spirit is among us and is at work in us. I think there are relatively few Christians who are, I don't know how to say, committed or active Christians who would say that the Holy Spirit is not at work in any capacity, but kind of exactly how, in what, in what sense, how, how we, our agency interacts with the agency of the Holy Spirit. These are things that sort of different people have different views on. For me, I have been overwhelmed by the grace of God and have experienced so many ways in which God has been present to me and that God has worked in me and through me that I would, I would have to be a liar <laughs> um, to, to deny. The reality of the Holy Spirit as a living and active force in the world, in my life, and in, in and through Christians and Christian communities. I myself have failed often to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. 
but this is something I'm continually trying to grow into, becoming more sensitive to being able to hear and act on and uh, live in sort of obedience and compliance with the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But that's very much a journey for me. I've come a long way, uh, but I have a very long way to go before I am as open to and as ready to to hear and as, as kind of clear-eared and, and um, ready-hearted. Uh, as I sh- as I know I should be in terms of oh. my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Well, join the club. I mean, you know, the I I think that it's something that everyone struggles with, especially especially those who struggle to hear the Holy Spirit or or to to be sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit. But I think that this kind of puts one in good company with some of the New Testament's earliest audiences. You know, clearly, on the one hand, you you see the church in Corinth who are it, who, who is very eager and zealous for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But even that needs some sorting out. Paul writes a letter about it, not just about it, but that figure centrally there. But then, you know, there are these telling remarks in his letters to the Thessalonians where he has to say, you know, don't despise prophecy. Don't despise it. And so there are very different reactions to to this. Even We see it even this in this passage. There's a kind of skepticism and and it's, Maybe, maybe it's suggested by the passage that the skepticism, uh, about the, the drunkenness of, of the people felt here with the Holy Spirit is in part coming from, you know, those who are worshiping among them. So there, there are real questions here, but I, I don't want to go on too long. But as I'm speaking, I, there was one thing I wanted to mention here, and it's something that I've encountered in different authors from throughout the centuries of Christian church. You'll often hear, this passage related to the Tower of Babel as a as essentially a kind of reversal. Yeah. That what happens, of course, is that you know that humanity, even after its first reboot with the flood, then once again builds this tower and things get in God's eyes quite heinous again among their prehistoric human beings. And there's an a need for uh, a scattering, right? And here we see you know, and their language is confused. They're unable to talk. They're unable to, to communicate. They're unable to share a world together. And here you see the Holy Spirit once again sort of dwelling over the chaos and remaking it and bringing order and unity out of people who are formerly scattered and divided from each other. And that's, that's especially beautiful to think about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world today. Yeah. Yeah. No, what I, what I find fascinating, and, and I, I'm also familiar with that, that idea of the sort of sure, reversal sure. Of, Bab- uh, of the Tower of Babel. But what I find really interesting here is that, okay, at, before the Tower of Babel, all humanity, I guess, spoke one language. And then there was the confusion of the languages. So people couldn't understand each other and they all had different languages. But what we see here is not just that people can now understand each other, but that in some way, God maintains the variety of languages. It's not like, it's not the exact reverse in the sense that all of a sudden everyone was speaking the same language, but actually everyone was able to understand, was able to hear the message of the Holy Spirit in their own languages. So we have people from all these different uh, countries, all these different ethnic groups, all these different communities who had their own language, their own native languages. And, and God was able to speak, you know, the Holy Spirit was able to speak the message, the, 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 the good news of God 
um, to each person's, I'm sorry, there's an airplane passing by. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I, I thought that was a mighty rushing wind. I wasn't yeah, sure. I, I, yeah, I, would, I won't joke too lightly about that because uh, if it happens, I'd, I'd be very gr- grateful to, to experience that kind of a vivid Make sure uh, it blows this way too. I mean, yeah. I mean, but, but what's fascinating is that God chooses to maintain the distinctiveness of those different cultures and creates a unity among them so they could all be, you know, in one accord, all could understand one another, but still maintain the distinctiveness and the variety of, of, of their, of their cultures, which I think is really interesting. And it speaks a lot to kind of possibilities for us as contemporary Christians. And sometimes I think, I'm just also thinking in terms of, um, the way in which Christianity, uh, at some point in history spread from I mean, I come, I mean, I, I come from a part of the world where Christianity has been around for, for centuries, uh, for millennia, actually. So for me, I don't associate Christianity with colonialism, but I know there are a lot of people in parts of the world who were introduced to Christianity or who had, are part of a Christian tradition that was connected to a particular culture, a specific culture. And that, so that European culture or whatever the case may be, what became kind of the equivalent to this, to be Christian, you have to take on these cultural, uh, trappings. And yeah. what's, what's so exciting about this is that it's not that they all had to, to start speaking the same language and be kind of made uniform, that God was able to, God chose to keep that variety of expression. And then, and, and again, we see when, when, when Peter later on in that passage in Acts, when he's going back and quoting uh, Joel too about that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that, that Joel gave that God would pour out God's flesh on all people, uh, God, God's spirit on all flesh. That again, it's very specifically inclusive. It's mentioning a range of genders, range of classes, range of ages. It's just, it, it's that somehow the Holy Spirit is able to bring about a deep kind of unity that does not depend on conforming to a, a narrow model of what is the way you're supposed to be. That the distinctiveness and the variety of how we are created and how we have developed our cultures is something that actually glorifies God in that distinctiveness. But it's not chaos. It, the, the coherence and the harmonization comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and kind of the flip side is I wonder sometimes when we make efforts to create a kind of harmony among us without the, the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, being involved, it seems like it can go so, it can, it can only go so far. I wonder to what extent that's limited unless you have that deeper unity that doesn't depend on our all being able to sign on to a certain set of cultural or personal or whatever norms but is actually yeah. kind of a deeper, mysterious working of God. I, I find that exciting. Absolutely. It is interesting that it's not so much a, well, an assumption of one people or one linguistic mapping of the world into another, but a kind of coordination of each in their own integrity for better and worse. I mean, these are people who are being, who are hearing one another in, like as you say, in their own language. And if in their own language, then through their own structures of knowing and, and mapping the world. And that's really fascinating. It, it reminds me, maybe I should just apologize in advance for this. I'm, I'm not really sorry about it, but there's a great maxim attributed to one of my heroes, St. Thomas Aquinas, that says that grace does not destroy nature, but perfects it. And you see here, you know, there's this maintenance of these people and their and their own cultural integrity and the lot and and their understanding of the world that is in some sense, yes, it is maintained, 
but it's also about to be radically transformed. And there's a healing that's coming for everyone. And, you know, what we get later in the book of Acts and Peter isn't so sure at certain points, this is a good thing, but, but it is. Yeah. 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 It gets complicated, right? It gets complicated. Yeah. It does I mean, get complicated. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, one of my, uh, one of my people who influences me a lot, Irenaeus, with whom I spend a lot of time that I've, I've been doing research on, he also has this idea of a kind of the, the value of variety, the creaturely, the, the variety of creation that God actually deliberately wants to include a variety within creation. And that is actually something that, that points to the, a deeper unity rather than pointing to a kind of, um, disunity. It points to the one creator because it is God who is the ground of that harmony, of, of, of the, the harmonization of the variety of creation. Yeah. That's my particular reading. I mean, he gives an example of the way in which, uh, when you hear a melody that's created by uh, the, the, the musician playing a number of different notes, the, each note is different from, from the others. The, the, the intervals are all disparate intervals, but the, the skill of the, of the musician is to be able to play all of these very varied notes and intervals and, and harmonize them into a, a melody that is coherent and points to the unity of the one who's creating it. If you just made it all the same note, it would just be kind of conforming. That, w- that wouldn't be a kind of a, a skill. That wouldn't be uni- unifying. It would be a squelching of, of the fullness of the creative beauty of each of those things. But the, the variety itself points to the unity of the creator. Thanks for listening. Chapterverse in Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, executive producer Helena Martin, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host, Natalie Owens-Pike. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse, and Season.